This morning, we are continuing on our series on heaven. How today will go is this. Um, I will start this teaching, and my good friend Francis Chan will finish the teaching. So he is here today. Did someone say, what was that? Like, ooh, is that what I heard? Or was that a, was that a ooh or a boo? That was a ooh, I know. I'm just joking. Um, so that's how it's going to happen today. So we're going to be team teaching. Uh, him and I have been spending, uh, for the last maybe year, some time together praying through heaven, talking about heaven. It's been really cool. So we're going to teach on it the next couple weeks. Um, so, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a lot of text. So follow along with me. Very important that you follow along. Matthew 6, verse 19. It'll take me a while to turn there in my Bible, so I'll be patient. So I'm going to read this. It'll be on the screen as well. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will get you one. You can take it home, start reading it yourself. If you're like, is this true what's on the screen? Is that really in the Bible? Yes, and you can get one yourself. So uh, there's someone in the center that needs a Bible. So if someone in the back could get him a Bible, and there's someone over here. Does anyone else need a Bible? Raise your hand. Right there, back there, up there. No one? Okay. All right. So Matthew 19, Jesus speaking, what we call the Great Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust, or some translations say vermin, rust destroy, do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 19 Verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life or eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then could be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, 
Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the, in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. If you could take any more, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord, um, I confess to you as I stand before your church that th these are very heavy passages of Scripture, but they are in the Bible nonetheless. Let them do their work on us, God. I don't, I don't think neither Francis nor I desire to explain away these verses. Everyone in this room is rich. By world standards, by even national standards, we're rich. So this all, every, there's no one that can dodge this no matter if we're in debt or not. No one could dodge this, God. And nor do we want to, Lord. So may it have its perfect work in us, Lord. For those who are new and don't, like maybe aren't following you, um, give them ears to hear and eyes to see that you are good, God, and that you are trying to make a people fit for heaven. Do that in us. And may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you, God. In Christ's name, amen. So last week we began a short series on heaven. And uh, what we said is that the Christian idea of heaven is not just a counterpart to hell. A lot of times when we think about heaven, we think about, well, the counterpart is hell. That the heaven and hell are two binary pairs. And, it's, and what we said last week was really that's, like, that's kind of like a caricature of Christianity. The Christian faith is not really about heaven and hell. The Christian faith and the scriptures is about heaven and earth. And so when you open up the Bible, if you got a Bible today for the first time or if you've not ever read it, turn to page one. And page one talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this doesn't just mean land and sky, though it does mean land and sky, but it means that the land and sky are pulsating with the spiritual reality of God because God walks with humanity in the cool of the day and he creates everything to be one and it's it's Eden and it's paradise and it's beautiful and everything is perfect or not perfect. The word God uses is shalom. Everything has peace. Everything is one. Everything is good. In the beginning, God has made his home in this combination of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth were created and they were one. Heaven and earth were one. That's how the Bible starts. But then in Genesis chapter 3, sin breaks that apart and then there's a separation of heaven and earth. They're not one anymore. But as we talked about last week and as we looked at the scriptures, the scriptures talk about how, how they're broken apart, but heaven and earth, like it almost seems like heaven and earth look at each other in a sense. Um, heaven 
uh, uh, looks at earth and longs for earth to be made new. Revelation 6 talks about this. Oh, when will you, will you avenge our blood? When will you make things right, God? This is what's going on in, in heaven. So, so heaven, in a sense, like looks and longs for heaven and earth to be reunited, but then earth, we're told in Romans 8, does the same thing. Earth groans for its redemption. Earth longs for heaven come and be its medicine and heal earth. Like they long to be one. So they're, they're together and then they're broken apart, separated, but they're like longing for one another to be made new. And God is in heaven and he is one day going to restore earth and make it new, make it new. So what the Bible is about from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is the story of God moving towards humanity to make all things new. From Genesis 3 onward, God is moving toward humanity, toward earth, to redeem and to reconcile and to renew. And by the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, heaven and earth are reunited and it, and it, feels, so, no, and it feels good, like it's a good thing. <laughs> there you reunite it. And the great day of reuniting of heaven and earth are called several different things in the scriptures. Um, it's called the renewal, of hev- uh, the renewal of all things. That's what Jesus alluded to in Matthew 19. At the renewal of all things, meaning when heaven and earth are reunited, when God makes all things new, it's also called the age to come in the scriptures or, the, or eternal life in the scriptures or it's called the new heavens and the new earth. When God will make these two one, it's talking about the day when Christ will judge the living and the dead, the righteous and the wicked, and he will expel all evil. And he will renew the heavens and the earth and he will dwell among us. So the beginning of the Bible opens up with God living with us in humanity. And then the Bible ends with God, uh, God's dwelling places with man again. So that's, that's the story of the Bible. So if your basic understanding of the Christian faith is about how your soul is going to float to heaven when you die, you might be misinformed. Yes, if you are a follower of Jesus and you die, your soul goes to heaven when you die and your body goes into the earth. But that is not the end of the story. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about, oh, my soul's saved and whoo, floats up in the sky and my body's dead and that's the end of the story. No, your soul goes to heaven to be with Jesus. Your body goes to the earth to remain here for people to visit or remember you by. But one day, your soul will return to this earth with Jesus on that day of the renewal of all things. And Jesus will raise your earthly body from the dead and your soul will like reunite with it and it will be renewed and reunited. Now, some of you, if you're bummed, you're like, whoa, wait, wait. I thought I got a new body. Are you telling me God's just gonna raise this, this body up from, like I was hoping for like being, I was hoping to be ripped in heaven. That's what some people think, like, oh, this, I'm not even going to look like this anymore. Oh, in heaven, I'm going to be like, bam, I'm going to be Greek God stuff. Have a friend. Have a friend who is, um, who is fit. Like, he doesn't live here, so he, he's very, very fit. And I will have uh, a meal with him. And I'll sit down with him, and he'll just order, like, a burger. And I'm like, I'll have a burger too then. If you're going to have a burger, I'll have a burger. And we're eating the same thing. And as he's eating, I can see his muscles getting bigger. <laughs> I look at him. I'm like, how is, how is your body efficiently using the burger to make you? And my, but I eat it and my burger's like, I like this. But I'm going to stay right here forever. <laughs> like I'm going to lodge myself. And I think, I used to think, oh, I'm gonna, in heaven, I'm going to get like his body. Like that's the body I'm going to get. But that's not, that's, not, that's not true. Like you get a resurrected body, a new body, but it's your body. God's going to raise it from the dead and renew it. And if, if, you, if you don't like your body, well, that will be renewed as well. 
your own like thing that you have with your body, that's going to be renewed as well. And your, our vanity, that, that's going to be renewed as well. And our standard of beauty, that's going to be renewed as well. It's all going to be made new. So your soul and your body on that day will be one. Heaven and earth on that day will be one. Jesus and his bride on that day will be one. And we will rule and reign and work and worship and build and plant and create and commune on earth for it will be heaven forever and ever. Amen. Now the implications of this in the here and now today is that we can't look at heaven as escapism. Like this earth doesn't matter since my soul will go to heaven anyways. That's the implications. Earth matters. It's rather myopic to think that earth doesn't care about or heaven, um, that God doesn't care about this earth. It's myopic to think that way. God does care about this earth. But here's the thing. And this is the point of today's teaching. This world is not all that matters. This world is not all that matters. We value this earth because God is going to redeem it, but we don't value only this earth. We don't value this earth over everything else. We don't value the luxury of this earth over everything else. Actually, if you read much Jesus, his teachings are, are kind of paradox. His, he teaches in paradox a lot, uh, for example, on the screen. Um, he teaches lose your life and you will find it. He teaches deny yourself and you will gain a self. He teaches be last and you shall be first. These are all paradox, teachings of paradox. And they almost don't register in our mind like, well, I have to give my life and then I'll find it. And Jesus is like, yes, give your life in following in the pursuit of me and you will find true life. Deny yourself and you will actually find a true self in Christ. Be last and you shall be first. That's the paradox. But there's also a paradox of heaven and earth. And the paradox of heaven and earth goes something like this. When you focus on heaven, heaven breaks into earth. When you live for heaven, heaven comes to live here. When you live for heaven, heaven breaks down into here. When you're trying to bring heaven here by like, I'm going to orchestrate and I'm going to architect heaven here. I'm going to make a perfect city with a perfect this. It doesn't happen. But when you focus on heaven and when this earth doesn't matter anymore and you live for heaven, heaven breaks on and breaks in and breaks down into earth. A focus on heaven is how we truly live a life on this earth well, faithful to Christ. And that was the point of the scripture passages that we selected this morning. Did you notice that there are two ways according to this that we live? There are two ways that we live. We live, as it says here, um, we can live toward the New Testament, and Jesus and the New Testament writers say there are two ways. There's a, a way that we focus on this earth, this world, and when we do that, we lose both heaven and earth. We lose earth because all our treasure that we have built here will be taken from us. That's the nature of this earth. That's the nature of this world. And so there is a part of like when we focus on earth, we lose earth and we lose heaven. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths, rust, uh, where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What Jesus is saying here is that what we can't do is when we focus so much on earth, when we do this, we actually lose everything on earth. When he says moths and rust and thieves, he's talking about nature, time, and humanity. Nature, time, and humanity eat away at our earthly treasures. When we place all our value and treasure on this earth and things of this earth will eventually be taken from us, Jesus is saying. And this is true. 
Everything that you value that you place on this earth will be taken from you. By nature, people will die. This earth will shake. You can lose it all in a fire. You can lose it all in a bad decision. The nature of things is that the things you love will go away. And they will also go away by time. Money runs out. Things get old. Things get tired. Things break. And then there's humanity. People hurt us and people can take from us. See, we want treasures because treasures on earth give us security. Treasures in people and in possessions and in wealth, they bring us security. But what Jesus is saying is that because of decay, treasures lead us to the opposite of security. They lead us to anxiety. Our riches, our riches bring us into constant war with decay. Our stuff doesn't bring us rest. The things that we get on this earth doesn't bring us rest. Our stuff doesn't bring us rest and security. It brings us anxiety because we have to protect our stuff or keep adding to our stuff. And Jesus says, when you build your life in this world, in this earth is all you live for, you will lose not only heaven, you will actually lose the stuff on earth. G.K. Chesterton once said, there are two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more, and the other is to desire less. See, Jesus isn't just saying that we're to desire nothing. Like, he's not saying um, that I think that would be Buddhism. That's not Jesus. Jesus actually goes the other way. He's not saying, okay, now don't desire anything. He doesn't do that. He goes, I want you to collect treasures. I want you to live for treasures, but, but you're, you're still collecting treasures. You're still desiring something, but it's not here on this earth. It's not the stuff of this earth. It's in heaven. I want you to desire God's reality. I want you to desire God's future. I want you to desire God's kingdom. Jesus redirects our desire. He channels our desire to want what God wants. See, every person has like some sort of ruling ambition. Every person has treasures. Every person invests somewhere in this room. This fact is not disputed or even combated by Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I don't want you to have ambition anymore. I don't want you to have treasures anymore. I don't want you to invest. He's not saying that. What Jesus is teaching and emphasizing is where is your ambition? Where is your treasure? Or even more pointedly, who is your treasure for? The follower of Jesus is to be ambitious. The follower of Jesus is to be passionate, is to be enterprising, but to do all of this for heaven, for God's reality, for God's kingdom, for God's future, for God's approval, for his approval, his glory. We're, we're, we're waiting for God's well done after final judgment. So this rich young ruler asked Jesus about eternal life. He walks up to Jesus and he goes, I have a question about eternal life. Now, there's two possible reasons this rich young ruler asked about eternal, eternal life. Um, the first reason is because he acquired everything and he wants to, uh, like a spiritual component to the other good things he has in his life. He's, he's conquered the physical. He's young. He's conquered the financial. He's rich. He's conquered the social. He's a ruler. Why not spiritual? I've done everything in this life. Why not do some spiritual stuff now? That could be one possibility why he had to, walked up to Jesus and like, hey, I want to know about eternal life. But the other reason he could have is that he has everything. He has everything. He even, in a sense, has perfect religion because Jesus says, do this. He's like, I've done all those things. He's done everything according to his religious laws, according to all the society standards. He's done everything, but there's still something missing. He's like, I've done this all, but I, don't, I still don't feel like I have eternal life. 
I've done it all. I've done everything that, that, that the law commands. I've, I've gained all the world's wealth, all the world's status. I'm a ruler, but there's still something there that's that just not connecting with me. I still feel like I don't have eternal life. Either way, Jesus presses in on his true treasure. Jesus presses right in on his, like, his net worth. Jesus says, let go of that. Let go of all the stuff of this earth, and you will have treasure in heaven. See, there are two ways to live. Like everything I have on this earth is all that matters and everything I get on this earth is all that matters or heaven is real and I'm living for that day. And that's the language of James. When he talks about the rich, those who thought only about life and ended up oppressing people, only about this life and ended up pressing people around them, like there's no future judgment. This is how James talks about the rich that, that live everything, live their entire lives for this life. He says this, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Your whole perspective of life is living on this earth and because of that, your whole focus is luxury and self-indulgence and it's all about you. You live like on this, on this earth is all that matter. There is no future kingdom. There is no future judgment. There is no future reality. You live like this was all there was. Jesus actually tells a parable in Luke. There's a huge debate on whether it's a parable or not because Jesus actually uses real names. And Jesus doesn't do that in parables. So this actually could be a real story. If it's a real story, it's haunting. Tells a story of a rich man dying and going to torment and a poor beggar dying and going to comfort. And the rich man is in Hades, in torment, and he asks for the beggar, Lazarus is his name, to serve him water, because it's so, it's so tormenting, and he's so thirsty. He's like, if, if Lazarus, he's speaking to like Father Abraham, if, if Lazarus could just dip his finger in water and touch my tongue, I'm just like, it's, I'm in torment. And this is, this is chilling. This is, what, this is what is said to the rich man. Son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. I just want you to remember that you got everything that you wanted on earth in your lifetime. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. The implication is that, son, you've lived your entire life like earth is all that matters and your luxury is all that matters, and your self-indulgence is all that matters, and you had no foresight. You had no real treasure in heaven. You weren't really converted because you tried to grab everything you could in here and now. Your heart only cared about you and your stuff, not about God and his kingdom and his future reality. And so how do you build a treasure in heaven? Well, you start living like God's future is more real and matters more than this earth. That God's future is more real and matters more than this earth. And I'm going to put it in terms, as I, as I close, I, I'm going to put it in terms that, I'm going to, I'm going to share one, one example. I typically like to do like three, four, five, whatever, but just one. And this one might cut a bit, but I'm going to say it because it's true. Some of you will not be married you want to be, but you won't be. And I'm sorry. There's a part of me that, but that's not sorry. Because one day, you will be married to Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. One day you will experience a marriage 
a union, a communion of heaven and earth, of Christ and his bride, and it's worth the sacrifice. And you should spend your life as a single person saying yes to Jesus in his mission on this earth. See, we need more Mother Teresas now. But no one might not ever know who you are. And I think Mother Teresa would have preferred it that way. We need people that go, I'm, this life is nothing. This life is nothing. All that matters is God's kingdom. All my treasure, all my hope is placed squarely on God. There's a man named David Livingstone. He was a missionary into the continent of Africa. In Cambridge University on December 4th, 1857, he gave an address to the, to the students at Cambridge. And a lot of people would come up to him and say and talk to him about the comforts and the benefits that he left in England to spread the gospel. And he often got questions how he could make such a sacrifice. And one of his last speeches before he died here, he, in his own words, he says, it was no sacrifice. It was actually a privilege. He said, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in, in spending so, so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and faithful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word and such a view. Away with thinking about sacrifice that way. And with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be only be for a moment. All of these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I never made a sacrifice. I threw my back out yesterday, so I'm just gonna be standing still and leaning against this thing. Um, but someone was praying for me in the back and um, in the back. Um, <laughs> before my, <laughs> a lot of people prayed over my back this morning, but um, it didn't work. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna go to a different church next week. Um, but I, I, I thought it was, uh, I, you know, I always, I, I believe God's sovereign and there's reasons for everything. And even, you know, someone prayed for me. Uh, she was saying how, you know, maybe it's because sometimes it could be that you try so hard in the flesh and God wants to do something today that, that is at this extreme level that 
nothing in your flesh is going to help that. Um, and, 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 and maybe it's a letting go of what you normally do because you know how to get in front of a crowd and you know how to teach and, okay, let me just do this, get it over with. But, but maybe it's because God wants you to just, just stretch even deeper because there's something bigger he wants to do today. And, and I really believe that. And, and, and even afterwards, you know, as I'm, I'm back there praying for you, I'm, I'm thinking, God, what, what do I want to see happen? And, and what I want to see happen is something that is so massive. It was everything Dave was talking about just a few moments ago. Because, okay, here's, here's, here's the truth about what I think. I could be totally off, but here's what I think. I, what I see in Scripture is that following Jesus is about letting go of your old life, dying to yourself, and being consumed with Him, and following Him, like what He says. You know, you, if you live for this life, you're going to lose it. If you try to hold on, you're going to lose it. But if you let go and pursue Him, you're going to find life. And I really believe that a lot of us who grew up in church and are probably in this room right now, we're trying to have both. We're trying to hold on and also gain eternal life. We're, we're trying to not let go of our life. We just want to add the life that Jesus wants for us on top of what we want. There's this comfort, and I have it too. And sometimes I think we've been told this lie that you can have both, and I think a lot of us are trying to pursue both, and you're here pursuing both because you don't want to let go of certain things. And so the thought that this morning might be the moment when your eyes are open and you see Jesus so clearly that everything else just looks stupid, everything you've been dreaming of your whole life, you just go, wow, that's so dumb, that's so lame in comparison to God. I'm willing to let go of it all. I don't care. I don't care about my stuff. Here, I mean, and not just say it and feel it in your heart, but to where there's a physical response. Where you go, okay, I'm done, I'm done. I'll sell my house, I'll sell my car, I'll empty out my bank account, I'll build hospitals in Africa, dig wells in India, whatever. Like, in fact, it's not a sacrifice to me, like that, that last quote we were, it, it would actually be a, a huge joy because I really do believe in heaven. I really believe it's gonna be over. All the stuff on earth is over any second. I'd be a fool to hold on to this stuff rather than letting go and really finding life. About a month ago, I was in China, and um, we got any Chinese here? All right, a couple. Um, but uh, I was in China, and I saw the most beautiful church I've ever seen in my life. Um, I went, you know, I did the Shanghai, Beijing, did some stuff there, but then I went to this little village, like, like rural China, like way out in the sticks, and, uh, you know, and there was this little village of about 70 families, 70 families, and they just live on this little hill, you know, grow their own corn and rice, they got their animals, no cell phones, I didn't see any when I was there, everyone was just kind of talking, it's weird. And uh, just picture that, 70 families, um, but they had all become Christians. Like that whole little hill became Christian. And, 
And so in the mornings, you just see people just in the Word, on their own, just serving God, you know, reading His Word. But as they were reading the Word, they got convicted by the Word and actually did something. And they said, you know what, we're supposed to care for the widows and orphans. So they began adopting kids. Like every single family began adopting kids from the orphanage. So those 70 families adopted 160 children. So every family adopted two to three kids, and all of the kids had special needs. Cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, you know, missing limbs, you know, some they're just carrying them around the village, you know, they're just drooling and, you know, can't communicate. And I mean, just, just picture this little village of 70 people, 70 families, each of them having two to three kids with special needs. And the joy on their faces, the way they loved each other, the way they cared for each other. Like I said, it was the most beautiful church I'd ever seen. And I never went to a church service. I'm just saying it's the most beautiful. But see, we so equate church with this. When I go, oh, it was the best church. You're like, oh, how was the singing? (laughs) I don't know. I don't really care. Like the whole time I'm in this village, I'm going, God, make me like these people. Like they died to themselves. That's what it means to die to yourself. It's not I'm going and visiting a ministry for an hour a week. It's saying, no, this is my life now. Now 24-7, I'm going to serve these people. I'm going to bring them to my house. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to love them, truly love them. It's not about hearing a sermon and feeling something in the heart. It was like this action I mean, when you do that, you are dying to yourself. And I'm just going, God, help me, Lord. I don't want to end my life like this. I still think about myself so much. And these people, man, they, they, they're servants. Make me a servant like them. Free me from myself. Help me to let go. And it's crazy because that verse that I, I kept thinking about while I was there was how the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And I just kept thinking, this little village, none of you will ever see it, I don't think. No one really is going to know about them. They're just doing their thing. And I just think, man, what's it going to be like when they come in the presence of God? And I was like, we didn't live for this world. We really didn't do it. We knew this was happening. We knew this was coming. And it just made me come back and go, okay, what would it look like right here in San Francisco. For the church to be the church, where people didn't have to walk in this room to know that we're a church and judge our church based upon this room and these services. But what would it look like? And it starts with this this surrender, right? It starts with us really dying to ourselves, not holding on to what we have and adding Jesus to that. Repentance was all about, I was going this direction, and I let go of that, and I started heading this other direction. See, that, that, that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, the passage that Dave read in the beginning, he says, in the last days, it's going to get terrible, It's going to get terrible in the last days. And then he goes on and lists the reasons why. 
Because he says people are going to become like this. But the thing about that list in 2 Timothy 3 is he's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. He goes, this is why it's going to get ugly. Is You're not really going to notice the difference between the world and the church. All these things are going to start seeping into the church unnoticed. And pretty soon it takes on the characteristic of everyone else to where we're not that different. I think that's why we love the picture of that village in China. You're going, I I mean, the whole time I'm there, I'm like, this is what you created people to live like. This is it. This is it. When you see something noticeably different, you go, wow, that's awesome. But the Bible says in the last times, it's going to get terrible because you could be sitting next to a Christian. You wouldn't even know it. The church will look so much like in the world. And and he starts listing these things. And and at the end of it, you know, he says, avoid such people. That's the crazy part to me. I think in the NIV when Dave read, he says, have nothing to do with them. Remember, this is God's word. But I think the moment we hear a phrase like that, we immediately go, I'm not doing that. That'd be unloving to avoid anyone, to have nothing to do with them. So let's just, let's just cross that part off. See, God wanted his church to look so different that he says if people are going to try to hold on to both and, and be just like the world and just add Jesus to them, he says, man, see the church, we spend so much time judging everyone out there. And God says, no, I want you to judge the people inside. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, he goes, judge those inside the church. And he says, if they call themselves brother or sister, yet they live this way in this immorality, he goes, don't even eat with them. And then he goes, I'm not talking about the people in the world. He goes, if that were the case, then you'd have to leave the world. He says, I'm talking about those who are in the church. See, see, that was God's passion. He goes, I want this group to be so different that if everyone's trying to make it all one, he says, avoid that. But, but you look at this list, and the crazy thing about this list is if you look at it, a lot of these things have so crept in to who we are that we don't even consider it a big crime anymore or a sin. And that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. He says, in the last days... People will be lovers of self. That's the first thing on the list. People are going to be lovers of self. It's going to be horrible in the end because people are going to love themselves. And we hear that and we go, so? (laughs) Because it's normal to us. Sociologists are saying this is the most narcissistic culture ever most narcissistic generation in all of human history by a long shot. I mean, it's, we're, we're so in love with ourselves, we think it's perfectly normal that everyone on earth makes a page about themselves. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Who else am I going to make a page about? And you're going to go home today, if you find a better picture of yourself, you're going to put that one on there, and you just keep posting, reposting, you know, putting your elbow out further. <laughs> oh, yeah, ladies, I know what's up. I got, I have five daughters. Um, but we just go, that's normal. 
We talk about ourselves. We love ourselves. We try to put all of our accomplishments on a page for everyone to see because we want them to look up to us. Isn't that the chief aim of man? And, and, and it's this idea that even in the church we go, well, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'm just working on loving myself so I can love my neighbor. <laughs> See, I don't think I love myself enough. And I go, I, I think you love yourself a lot. I mean, every time we get together, it's, it's about you and uh, how you can love yourself more. And, and you guys, but, but what does Scripture say? People will be lovers of self. See that I think about going back to that village, those people, if they loved themselves, what would they have done? See, true love is when you're like, I, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about this kid in this orphanage that's rotting away and there's no one doing anything for him. What happens if no one takes him? I, I, see, it's getting beyond yourself to wake up in the morning and start thinking about others. To think about God, what do you want, what do you want, what do they need? And to think about others, man, that's what the Holy Spirit can do in you. He, he can change you. See, this is what we can be saved from. We got to be saved from this self-love, this all we're consumed by ourselves. You know, three times he uses that phrase, lovers, in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Now, lovers of money, again, this just creeps in. And we make all the excuses in the world. We say, well, I don't really love money. I just love the stuff it can buy. I've heard that in, in, in a church setting. I'm like, what are you talking? That doesn't even make sense. Okay, lovers, we, we just, we, we mask it. We hide it. We, we, we've just accepted, no, you just grab everything you can. Listen, a lot of you, maybe some of you have already bought homes, um, but others of you, you probably will at some point. And here's what happened. It happened to me. You, 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 you go to a loan officer and you tell them how much you make. You show them all the bills. You show them everything else. You just, they just look for everything. And then what do they tell you? They tell you, well, here's the biggest loan you could get. Here's the greatest amount of house you can afford. And so what does everyone do without even thinking? Okay. Let's find one for that, and maybe just a little bit more, because I think I might make more next year. We just, it, it's just, man, those who have bought homes, right? A am, am, I, am I lying? This is what we do. We find out what can we afford, and then our immediate reaction, because this is what the world tells us, is then get it. You deserve it. You earned it. Is there any thought of praying that through and going, well, maybe I know I could afford this, but maybe I'll take this and give this to others because I'm thinking about others all the time. Like, is that even a consideration? But instead, it's like, no, let me get the biggest I can get. Let me get the biggest salary I can get. and I'll give my 10% to the church or somewhere around there. But again, it's, it's being these lovers of money. 
See, Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus, it's not saying, well, can I keep that mindset and add Jesus to it? And it's like, no, because Philippians 2 says, no, we have a new attitude now. Our attitude is like that of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. I'm not going to hold on to this. And he goes, take the same attitude. Jesus didn't say, well, I deserve this. I'm, a, I'm God. And so let me hold on to that. It says, no, instead he emptied himself and made himself nothing, took the form of a man, not just man, he took the form of a servant, not just a servant, but he made himself obedient to death, and not just death, but death on a cross. And the Bible says your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. Take this attitude, he says, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus, we go, man, Jesus was beautiful. He could have had this and held on to this, but he emptied, 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 emptied. And you go, man, that's a great role model. I want to be that. I was just grabbing everything I could, but I liked the way Jesus lived. He kept humbling himself, humbling himself, giving everything away till he finally gave his life away on a cross. And then it says, therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see that? The Christian life is about empty, 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 because we know one day God will exalt us. It's this waiting for it. Wait for it, wait for it. You know, it's just like, ah, 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 I'm just giving more and more of myself, but I know it's coming. I know that day is coming. That's what believers did. But Paul says, hey, in the last days, it's going to change. It's going to get horrible because people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money and lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, some of you might even be here seeking pleasure rather than God. God, can't you make things better in my life? And yet the Bible is all about, no, it's about letting go. It's about a race to the bottom. Go, man, I want to be the greatest servant on earth. So when I stand before God, I've just emptied myself like Christ. Rather than the indulgent, you know, like the story Dave talked about, Lazarus and the rich man. I want to be the guy that didn't just throw little scraps down off the table to some, some homeless guy. I really want to live like Christ. But a lot of us, we're lovers of pleasure. In fact, there are churches now that'll tell you, hey, come here and God will make you rich. And so people go, I want to be rich. I'll go to that church. Come here, we'll heal you of everything. Your back won't hurt. You know, it's just, we'll, we'll, we'll fix everything. We'll take all the pain away. And, and believe me, I do know that God is the one that makes certain people rich. And I know that God is the one that heals and can heal. But his promise and his call was not come and you'll be rich. His call was come and die. Come and follow me. 
and we get everything mixed up. In fact, my daughter, my daughter, when she was in uh, junior high, one of my daughters, when she was 12, um, the teacher tried to quote scripture, and he said, uh, he or she said, oh, it was a guy, and, and he said, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to recall the story so I get it right. In class, he goes, well, it's just like Jesus said. It's more important to follow your heart than to follow the commands. And so my 12-year-old daughter raises her hand and goes, are you sure that's in the Bible? And he says, oh, no, it's in there. She goes, well, I read the Bible. I've never seen it. Can you show me that verse tomorrow? Because it doesn't sound right. I'm 12 years old. I'm like, right. So she comes home. She goes, Dad, I might have messed up. But is this verse in the Bible? It's more important to follow your heart than to follow. I'm like, no, it's not in there. And uh, she goes, okay, good, good, good. So the next day in class, she raises her hand. And she goes, did you find the verse? And he goes, no, but it's in there. She goes, I don't think so. My dad reads the Bible a lot. <laughs> and he says, it's not in there. And uh, he goes, no, it is, it is. And she, so she asked again, and he still didn't have it. So it's like, just forget about it, honey, just drop it. it it's not in there. Um, but it's interesting how we even try to sneak that in. Well, God wouldn't want me to suppress something I want. Doesn't he want us all to follow our hearts? And yet, if you read the scriptures, it actually says the opposite. In fact, in Jeremiah 23, I cannot see the verse number, but it's around 16. He says, the, my back, my eyes. It says this, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And so everyone, oh, I'm sorry, it shall be well with you and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. You know, this was Jeremiah's message was like, man, you got these prophets that I'll tell you, go ahead, follow your own heart. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. And Jeremiah's saying, God's saying, don't listen to those people. See, these are the messages that are creeping in the church. But what was, what was wrong with the book of Judges? What went wrong? It says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You do what's fun. You do what brings you pleasure. You know the crazy thing about that, this whole idea of that's creeping into the church that maybe is the mindset of some of you, you know, this, hey, just do what's in there. Do what you feel like doing. You be you. That is the one verse that the whole satanic Bible is built upon. Do you know the whole satanic Bible revolves around one message? Do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. Where's this doctrine coming from? Do what you want. Do what's in here. Follow your heart. Do what's right in your own eyes. 
You see how this is all creeping in and we're trying to take these world's teachings and mesh it with scripture. And I'm saying it can't, it's an exchange. It's not both. Look, the world says, love yourselves, grab all you can, follow your heart. Jesus says, deny yourself, grab a cross, and follow me. These are opposites. They're opposing ideas. And Jesus says, yeah, but if you do this, you're going to find life. So, this is the message of heaven. It's down here, because we so believe, we deny ourselves. Yeah, I could get this, 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 but that wasn't what my role model Jesus did. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. And I want to pursue that. I want to race for that. And then one day, God's going to highly exalt me. You see, it's denying yourself, grabbing your cross, and following his example. And that's the question I have for you guys. Look, I listened to Dave's message last week. Great. There's great teaching in this church. Here's my concern is we can take that teaching and just make it this vague, oh, that really pierced my heart. You know, and we'll say things like that. Okay, well, that's great. You got all these holes now. But <laughs> my question is, is what's going to change? I mean, seriously, I'm sorry. I'm just pretty black and white. Like, what are you going to do differently to the point where people look and go, whoa, I've never seen love like that. I've never seen people sacrifice like that. Why are they living that way? And then you go, because the things of earth have grown strangely dim. And uh, I really believe there's something after this. I'm betting everything on it. And so it's not a big deal. It's not a big sacrifice to lose what I have here. My question is, what are you actually going to do um, based upon what you heard today? The action. And that's where it's like, man, I can give a message, but the power to change lives, I really am praying that heaven comes down today. Let me pray for us.